I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. You're listening to our podcast edition of the program. I'm delighted to welcome David Rothkopf to our broadcast today. He is author of the new book, Traitor, A History of American Betrayal from Benedict Arnold to Donald Trump. Welcome, David. Hey, how are you? Uh, David, what do you make of the fact that um, there, there is abundant evidence that uh, Trump has been engaged in traitorous activity from denying what he calls blue states, um, critical medical equipment during the height of the pandemic, uh, to the evidence connecting him to Putin during the 2016 campaign, and again, the attempts to engage Ukraine in a campaign against Joe Biden. Um, and nevertheless, 70 million folks uh, at the end of the day voted to reelect Donald Trump. When, when the public sees a traitor, um, you know, typically there is a more of a consensus around what traitorous means. But do you think that some of the people who pulled the lever for Trump are fully aware of what you document in the book as traitorous activity and and just um i think it's a combination of factors first of all historically there have been plenty of times when people have behaved in a traitorous way and they've had a lot of support um you know when benedict arnold betrayed the country there were a lot of loyalists in the united states we were in the middle of a revolution people were divided about the outcome uh when jefferson davis and robert e lee and company betrayed the country um, the folks in the Confederate States and even some sympathizers elsewhere uh, believed in what they were doing, um, even though it was clearly traitorous and the objective was the dissolution of the Union. And when others have done things for ideological reasons, there have been people who have agreed with them. So that's that's one factor. I think another factor in this, of course, is that we live in this extraordinary period in which there are these uh, sort of parallel media uh, uh, ecosystems, um, and I don't think they're equivalent. Uh, the, the, the media ecosystem that is sometimes derisively referred to by the right as the mainstream media tends to value truth and fact-based reporting, um, not to mention science, history, and math. Um, Whereas the right-wing media has a long track record of promoting lies, including lies of the president, uh, and of denying things like science, history, and math. And there are a lot of people who get all of their information within those bubbles, whether it's from Fox or Breitbart or the Daily Caller or from a Facebook group they follow. Uh, they and their friends exchange this media within social media clusters that tend to be like-minded. Um, and so a lot of the people think the Russia um, collaboration of Trump and Putin is a hoax. Now, it's not a hoax. And there's mountains and mountains and mountains of evidence to demonstrate that it's not a hoax. They don't care. Uh, they think COVID is a hoax. I just read a story yesterday about doctor and in a uh, in a prairie state who was treating patients dying of COVID. And as they were dying of COVID, they said, it's a hoax. So, you know, the, we, we, we live in an extraordinary moment where 73 million Americans um, either choose to ignore crimes or 
believe in an alternative reality in which the crimes, although very real, um, are downplayed or um, pre they pretend they don't exist. I want to focus in on the not so much the specific Trump uh, criminal behavior or treacherous behavior, traitorous, um, treasonous behavior, but uh, domestically, um, the way in which Trump completely inverted the the Obama notion of, of from his 2004 keynote address and the way he attempted to to personify the United States as the United States and not blue states and red states. And when you have the delegitimization of the election results, um, it, it is further evidence of your of your thesis, and and that is what is going on here is is traitorous, not just, you know, in externally favoring, you know, relationships abroad and pro pro quos, but, but the idea that you were going to abandon um, faith in, in state processes in the way that Lindsey Graham is asking the secretary of state of Georgia uh, to not count lawful ballots. I mean, that strikes me to be a way to understand the treason or the traitorous behavior uh, even more specifically? Well, first of all, you know, I mean, I, I don't think we need to use the word traitor to refer to all bad activity. You know, some things are just criminal um, and some of the activities are criminal. If Lindsey Graham did what he uh, is alleged to have done, I think what he did was criminal. Um, I think many things that members of the Trump administration and the Trump have done have been criminal without being traitorous. Uh, I focused in on the term traitor because I felt that, you know, some of Trump's activities, particularly with respect to aiding and abetting a foreign enemy, um, were, you know, more traditionally the kind of things we would refer to as, as traitorous. And I thought it was worth exploring where they fit in the general historical panoply of things. But, you know, the president of the United States is a different kind of a job, right? The president of the United States begins his job by taking an oath to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States, not just the document, the ideas within the document, the institutions that are manifestations of those ideas. And the reality is that Donald Trump has betrayed that oath. He has betrayed the American people when he put his own self-interests or his own political interests ahead of the interests of um, uh, the people he's supposed to serve. He betrayed the people when he said, you know, I'm going to go and uh, seek the help or, or, or blackmail Ukrainian leaders into helping me get re-election. Um, uh, he, he betrayed it uh, you know, when he said, I, I'm going to do things in a way that puts money in my family's pockets. Um, uh, or, uh, you know, when I give national security clearance to my kids. And so, you know, we, we can sit here and we can parse out which of the things he did were crimes and which of the things he did were actually traitorous uh, or which of the things he and his cronies did were crimes and which of the things he and his uh, cronies did were traitorous. But at the end of the day, the conclusion that we've come is this guy has not only not upheld the oath of his office, uh, but he has 
violated it on a on a daily, sometimes almost hourly basis. I do want to hone in on the enablers, though, the enablers of that, the traitorous behavior. Um, not so much parsing whether it's traitorous or treasonous or criminal, but the element of uh, aiding and abetting uh, and, and how you found it to relate to other periods of uh, this kind of upheaval or traitorous uh, behavior in, in our politics. Um, and that is Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell and the ongoing resistance now to actually have a lawful, peaceful transition of power. You know, when Mitch McConnell doesn't actually live up to his responsibility to hold a fair Senate trial in the impeachment hearings, or when he uh, and Lindsey Graham and others determine not to fund efforts that could protect our election from foreign interference, uh, or when they choose to look the other way about what the president has done, uh, or they approve people for top jobs whose job it is um, going to be exclusively to obstruct justice. Um, whether it's Bill Barr or, or, or whether it's uh, Ratcliffe as, as director of national intelligence or whatever, you know, I think that those, those, they are definitely, you know, um, um, co-conspirators in, 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 in these traitors acts that we've talked about, they enable him, uh, they, they protect him once he's committed them. Uh, and they, their acts have the effect of, um, uh, compounding the damage that he's already done. Uh, as far as, you know, undermining people's faith in our democracy, delegitimizing democracy by saying that free and fair elections were not free and fair or by making assertions that are insupportable by fact, um, I think they're playing a very, very dangerous game uh, that not only has the effect of weakening democracy in the United States, delegitimizing it, making a lot of American voters not believe in it, but I think it also has the effect of of weakening us in the world. One of the things that we've stood for, uh, for the better part of a century, is the promotion of democracy, democratic values, the rule of law around the world. Um, At least that was our aspirational objective. And, um, you know, it's going to be a long, long time before anybody in the world accepts advice on democracy uh, from the United States of America, given the, the, the past, uh, past few years. My interest in probing this angle with you is, is to understand the Trump assault on democracy and, in fact, on republicanism, on our very form of government. Um, as being the most traitorous act of all on his way out the door. Um, and I know that this is not territory of your book because we weren't living through it as you uh, completed the text. Uh, but to me, uh, it is traitorous to refuse um, a what every other administration has done, a successful, peaceful transfer of power and to deny the incoming administration the opportunity to assemble its team. Um, we know the, the GSA has denied um, the, the Biden folks an opportunity to start the transition amid a, a once in a century pandemic. Uh, but, but, you know, in, in just looking towards how we recover from the traitorous behavior, 
there's a lot of discussion for the incoming president-elect, uh, president-elect Biden, about uh, how he should consider uh, either prosecuting crimes that were committed over the last four years or um, undertaking some kind of investigation, um, truth and reconciliation committee to do that. And uh, and and the the principle that Biden has emphasized is um, that the professionals at his DOJ will be independent um, and will be, you know, searching the truth. Um, that's what he said. Um, there's some reporting just within the last 24, 48 hours about how he's backing off the, the prosecution um, or criminal investigation of Trump officials. I don't think that's the case at all, but how do you read it? Uh, well, I don't know what the case is at all. I, I you know, I think that um, to break your sort of question in two parts, I think you're perfectly right to be aghast at what's happening now, but I think it's all of a piece. Uh, and as I say, it goes back to the fact that the president begins by taking an oath to preserve, protect, and defend the constitution. And that when he violates that by aiding and abetting a foreign enemy, or when he violates that by violating the emoluments clause, or when he violates that by um, obstructing justice or undermining the way that the Department of Justice works, um, uh, or when he you know, violates it in any of the myriad other ways he's done it, he's doing the exact same thing that he's doing now with this transition, which is to say, I place myself ahead of the law. I place my interests ahead of the interests of the American people. I place no stock whatsoever in the uh, word uh, or spirit of the Constitution, no, nor do I place any in um, uh, anything other than satisfying my immediate needs. And, you know, that's appalling, and it's been appalling from beginning to an end. And one shouldn't be surprised to see the behavior that he's going through now. Now, having said that, you know, should the next administration hold him accountable? And I think it's essential that we do. We've been through these kind of things in the past, and Nixon got pardoned, the Iran-Contra people got let off the hook, the people who tortured people in violation of international law under George Bush um, got off the hook, the bankers that ripped off the country and produced the crash of 2008, 2009, got off the hook. The message that the past several decades of American history is sending is the rich and the powerful are above the law. Presidents in particular are above the law. Now, Joe Biden's position is, as he said, I'm not going to get involved. That's up to the DOJ. That's fine. But if he's quietly signaling that he doesn't want to see that kind of behavior, that's not fine, because that's essentially, you know, putting his thumb on the scale. What can we learn, David, from our resilience in recovering from the traitorous behavior preceding Donald Trump? You mentioned Jefferson Davis, um, others. Uh, what, what can we learn that can help us through this transition? Well, I think we can learn that uh, when you don't hold people accountable, the problems get committed again. I think it was a big mistake initiated by Lincoln and followed through in spades by uh, Andrew Johnson to essentially say, no, we're going to let all these people off. Let's heal. You know, let's let's heal. Let's not punish the leaders of the Confederacy. Well, where does that where does that brought us? You know, today. We are suffering from the aftershocks of, 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 of that decision. 
uh, we still are divided. We still have this north-south divide. We still have had until right this minute people celebrating the Confederacy and its racist symbols. Um, uh, you know, and you know clearly that was enormously uh, painful for. Uh, of victims of slavery and then victims of Jim Crow area laws. And I don't mean just emotionally painful. Uh, it cut short lives. Uh, it produced injustice. You know, if we are a country that believes in the rule of law and that no one is above the law, and that is the principle upon which the country was founded, saying, you know, King George, we, we do not buy into a system in which people are born into a position in which they are above the law, um, then, then, then we've got to step up our game. But there has been too much short-term self-interest by politicians seeking to, quote, have, produce healing, which is really a way of saying, look, I'd like to get on with my own agenda. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to do any of the really hard things that are associated with these wounds in our past. And 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 one by one, they come back to haunt us again, whether it's you know, Nixon-like abuses or Iran-Contra-like abuses, um, uh, you know, or these, these, these racial divisions that have tortured the country since the day it was founded. You point to the, the, the fact that there was um, a, a lack of, of, of reconciliation during the Reconstruction years that understood the, what the terms were of this reunification that uh, the vestiges, and we wouldn't even call them vestiges, but the living uh, organism of, from that era is, uh, continues to be with us. And, and I think reflected in that is, is that uh, too many Americans, Joseph McCarthy and George Wallace and Donald Trump, are, they're the opposite of traitors. They're, they're heroes. They represent their version of America. No? Um. Well, you know, I, you know, I, I suppose if you accept the, the the relativistic notion that there are two versions of America and you're entitled to whichever one you believe in, then yes. Um, but the reality is, of course, that Joseph McCarthy was no hero. He abused his office. He abused the powers of the Senate. He tortured and tracked down and haunted and destroyed the lives uh, of of people who who did nothing wrong, who merely expressed their, their their own personal opinions, as is a right guaranteed to them under the Constitution, um, and he then went on from there um, uh, to do it again and again and again. He's no hero. Donald Trump's no hero. Um, uh, Jefferson Davis is no hero. Benedict Arnold was no hero. Um, a loyalist might have thought, well, you know, Benedict Arnold believed what I did, but he betrayed his country. He was a general in the Continental Army. He too had taken an oath and he damaged the United States of America. And at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. Are you following the law and are you upholding the interests of the country in which you live? Point it was that you so powerfully identify the failure of Reconstruction um, and and Lincoln. Um, we don't know had he lived if uh, those years would have panned out differently. Certainly with Johnson and uh, even with Grant's attempt uh, 
to roll back uh, what Johnson had unleashed and the beginning of the Klan and the kind of making of that alternate America. The reason I refer to the other version of America is that that's a decades-long, now centuries-long culmination of a, of a vision of, that is different, that doesn't distinguish b- between or understand what is traitorous. And, and that's what I just wanted you to kind of reflect on. Well, yeah. And, I, you know, I try to reflect on it by, by writing the book. But, you know, I mean, you know, I have a view that's kind of old fashioned. And that is that right and wrong exist. And that there are, you know, there are things that we can debate in life. But can we debate that owning another person is right or wrong? It was not a lifestyle. It was not a heritage. Um, uh, it was wrong. It was wrong from the day it began. It was wrong in every society in which it took place. Um, and the same is true with, um, uh, you know, you know any, any of the other instances that we're talking about here. Um, and, you know, the, the, there, there are a lot of people out there right now that would say, it is my right not to um, believe that Donald Trump committed a crime, or it is my right not to believe that COVID is a real disease, or it is my right not to wear a mask. And in each one of those cases, they're wrong, because you don't have a right to deny the facts. You don't have a right to embrace a political belief that's damaging to the entire country. Um, you can believe it, but but you but you can't act on it in a way that that makes things worse. Uh, and in terms of things like wearing a mask, you know, people say that infringes on their freedom. Well, all laws infringe on people's freedom. All laws do. The idea is that we've entered into a social compact with one another with the objective of uh, um, uh, making a society that provides us with better lives. And the rent we pay is giving up a little bit of freedom to the government around us so that everybody is better off and that we are more secure and we have a better chance at prosperity. And at the end of the day, the, you know, the question just remains, what do you do about the 73 million people you mentioned who who either didn't care that this was traitorous in, in whatever you know respects you want to define, or if there's a way over these next four years um, to to understand it differently. Um, and uh, look, I, I think I, I, there's no one answer. Yeah, should you find common ground where you can find common ground? Everybody wants to have a job. Everybody wants prosperity. Everybody wants security from uh, foreign terrorists. Everybody wants. Um, uh, you know, good education for their kids and so forth. That plan, there's plenty of common ground. We should find it where we can. David um, Rothkopf, uh, author of Traitor, A History of American Betrayal from Benedict Arnold to Donald Trump. Thank you so much for your insight today. My pleasure.